I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Hear now God's word. And when you pray, you must not pray, must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard, for there are many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So ends the reading of God's word. May he indeed bless it. Let's pray together. Father, we do desire to know how to pray in a way that is pleasing to you, pleasing to your ears, but that is also powerful and effective. We thank you for sending your son to teach us. I pray that you would give us an open ear. I pray that your spirit would help us in our weakness, even this morning, our weakness to listen and to focus. Help us to hear clearly our Savior's voice, even through this sermon, this even this sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Jesus went to a certain place to pray, and when he was finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, before we get to that, I want to ask a very important question. What is prayer? What is prayer? God's word assumes we will pray. It expects it. It commands that we will pray. It gives us examples of spirit-filled prayers like the Psalms. And Jesus teaches us to pray. But what is prayer? I would argue that we must understand correctly what prayer is if we're going to be able to pray faithfully. Now, our Westminster Shorter Catechism, you may or may not know this, gives a very helpful answer to this question, what is prayer? It helps us to understand the components or the parts of things that are included in the act of praying. It says that prayer is an offering up to God of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And I think that's a wonderful explanation of what must be included in our prayer life. An offering up with things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. But what is it, what, what is prayer that that is what must be included that that is that that is the pattern for how we must pray well let me offer this definition from the testimony of scripture 
Prayer is an exclusive right. It's a right that is exclusive to the children of God. It is speaking to the Almighty God as their Heavenly Father. And more to the point, prayer, true prayer, is of the Son of God. The true Son of God speaking to God the Father by the power of the Spirit. All three members of the Godhead are included in the work of prayer. It is to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And if you think about the testimony of Scripture, prayer was a fundamental ministry of our Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In his earthly ministry, Jesus prayed regularly, continuously. He often excused himself from the presence of his disciples to go off and to pray on his own. Sometimes he prayed in the presence of his disciples. Sometimes he prayed in public. We have records of some of the things that he prayed for or the ways that he prayed, and there's some things that were prayers that were simply between the Son of God and God the Father. But his prayers were powerful. He received, Jesus received the reward of his prayers. They were answered with an effective power. I remember Jesus prayed over five loaves, two fish. God answered that prayer by feeding thousands. Jesus prayed over the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and the Father granted him the power to call Lazarus from the dead. Jesus prayed for Peter, and God sustained Peter, even though Satan had desired to sift Peter like wheat. And even when Jesus, when the answer from the Father was no, it was a strong, emphatic, and clear no from the Father. When Jesus prayed, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, this cup of judgment, but not my will, but your will be done. And in response, the Father took the cup of his wrath, filled it to the brim, thrust it in his son's hands and said, no, my son, drink to the dregs. But it wasn't just his earthly ministry because we know that even now Jesus is praying. His ministry continues in prayer. He told his disciples that he would ask the Father for the Holy Spirit to be given to the church. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. The church was baptized in the Spirit. We have been filled with the Spirit of Christ, as a result of the prayer of our Savior Jesus Christ. But the book of Hebrews tells us that that is his continuing ministry, that he is seated at God's right hand and he ever lives to make intercession for us, for you, and for me. But, brothers and sisters, I think we should also understand that this prayer ministry of the Son of God even preceded the work of creation. God's words only gives us faint echoes of this, but the writer of Hebrews tells us that there are some passages in the Psalms that he explicitly puts into the mouth of the Son of God. Passages such as, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Come, uh, behold, I have come to do your will. It is written of me in the book. Or I will tell of your name among my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Son of God was the praying son. He is the 
He is the Son whose ministry is intercession. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he is a praying Son. The Father purposes his will. The Son prays and the Spirit empowers. And Jesus' prayers, we need to understand, were powerful and effective because the perfect will of God, the Father, was is the desire of the Son of God. When we ask for things in, that is in agreement to God's will, God answers with an emphatic yes. And also, we need to understand that this prayer among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was very relational. God needed nothing. He didn't create us because he needed anything. He was perfect and complete and full of love, even love itself. Perfect unity, perfect joy, perfect delight in and of himself. And prayer is a means within the Godhead to preserve, to promote, and to maintain this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And beloved, what is remarkable is that we are given the right to enter into that divine conversation. We, in Jesus Christ, are adopted into his family so that we can join with the very Son of God to speak to God as our Father. Scripture is clear that in Jesus Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters. We are adopted children of the Almighty God. We are given the spirit of adoption so we can cry out, Abba, Father. This is in the very Son of God, the very praying Son of God. Jesus said, no man come to the Father except through me. Prayer is coming to the Father. We come in the Son of God because we're adopted in him. We pray in Jesus' name. We are given the right... Hebrews says, to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because we are clothed with the perfect Son of God to come into God's presence and to offer prayer to him. And it's by the Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to pray in his exaltation and his glory, but also in his weakness and his humility. Jesus has given us his Spirit to testify, to pray along with our Spirit. That's what Romans tells us, that We don't know what to pray for. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It intercedes with us. That's Jesus' Spirit enabling us to pray to the Father. And there's great power in this prayer. Just as there was power in Jesus' prayer, we pray in Jesus' name, by his Spirit. We pray rightly, just as God, God affected his will by the prayers of his son. He affects his will. He brings it about through the prayers of his children who are praying through his son. Just as the father and son experience perfect unity through the prayer of his son by the spirit that unites, we pray through the son by the power of the spirit. We are drawn into unity and fellowship and relationship and love and adoration for God. But we must be taught. 
because we are adopted children. We are, we are not true sons. Since this is what prayer is, it's coming before the Almighty, but coming as children, children who have been brought from one family into another, we need to understand how to talk to our Father. And what better person to teach us than the true Son, the one who has been praying from all eternity, the one who is powerful and effective in prayer. We want prayers like Jesus's. We want the Lord to work through our prayers like his. And so Jesus was sent. The Father sent his Son to teach us how to pray. We heard there in Luke chapter 11, teach us to pray, Lord. Jesus was eager to do so even here in this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. So we need to hear that as he teaches us. So the first thing I think we need to see clearly is that prayer is assumed. It's expected. The, the disciple in Luke 11 didn't say, Lord, can we pray? Should we pray? Jesus doesn't try to teach us whether we can pray or under what circumstances. It's assumed over and over again. He says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. It's assumed because we are children of the living God. We are brought into his family and children speak to their father. There is an assumption that we have access to the almighty God. We can speak to him as our father and our father loves to hear our voice. What father does not delight to hear the voice of his children, does not delight to hear, take, uh, accept the requests of his children Perhaps some earthly fathers get annoyed, but our father never grows annoyed with us. He delights. He is ever patient. He's ever welcoming us and beckoning us because he is loving. And as Jesus teaches us how we ought to pray, there's one overarching principle, which we read as our law passage. It's this overarching principle that he applies to these three works of righteousness that he says. There's Giving to the needy, there's prayer, and then there's fasting. And that is, he says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And here's the warning. It's not that we are warned to not do pray in front of other people. It's the intent, the heart behind it. He said, beware of practicing in order to be seen by them. In order to be seen by them. He said, because then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He's not saying that there won't be a reward. What he's saying is that we do our works of righteousness before an audience. And the audience before we are truly intending to do these things is the audience that will reward us. So we have to be careful that when we do these things, when we pray, our intended audience is God himself. And as Jesus explains this and applies this to the work of prayer, he gives two instructions, two instructions that are contrasts. Don't pray like this, do pray like this. The first one he says is he says, true prayer is to the Lord, not for the audience of men. He says there in verse 5, he talks about the hypocrites. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
kids, an easy way to understand what this hypocrite means here is it's, a, it's an actor. Somebody who is acting, playing a part, like in a play or in a movie, that is playing a, a part of a character. When they're on stage, they are playing a part. They may be wearing a mask, disguising their true identity. They're putting on a show, but who they are, is a, that's not their real person. That is the pl- part that they are playing. Who they are in private is different from who they are in public. That is the hypocrite that is, that is here. They are putting on a show before other people. They love to be in front of other people because they are playing a part. And the part that they're playing is somebody that is godly, that is knowledgeable, that is, has a deep relationship with the Lord. They're using prayer as a prop to promote this character that they are someone that they are not. The problem isn't that they are praying in public. Because Jesus prayed in public. And we, are, we pray in public. We do it in worship each and every Sunday. It's good to do so. And it's not that, he, that these hypocrites are praying um, with the recognition that there are people paying attention to their prayer. Because Jesus even did that. In John chapter 11 at Lazarus' tomb, Jesus prayed this. He said, he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Prayer can be instructive. The problem is when the purpose of our prayer is an act for the benefit of other people so that we can show who we are. Uh, we, can, we can pretend who we are. And notice Notice that Jesus doesn't say that this doesn't come without a reward. He says, um, even the hypocrites' reward, or hypocrites' prayer gets a reward. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Hypocrite desires to be seen by other people as a praying person. People see them. They desire to be thought of as religious or godly or holy. Sometimes that can even be given. We, we hear people's prayers. We innately evaluate and assign some kind of assessment to that person based upon what we hear. So people can uh, see the facade of these types of prayers and be duped into thinking that this is a godly person. They may have that respect and that adoration from men. But the praise of men is worthless, friends. And what Jesus is saying is that is the only reward that they will receive. So truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Their prayers, the prayers of the hypocrite are powerless and ineffective because they lack the power of God. Because God is not the true audience. Their heart is not with the Lord. But Jesus says the true prayer is one that it has integrity where what is in private matches what is in public. And he offers this test. He says, you want to know your prayer life. Go where no one can see you. Go where no one hears you. No one knows that you're praying, except for your Father who sees in secret. Who are you praying to then? 
Are you, are, are you willing to do that when no one, when you're not going to get any credit from those around you? It says, do that. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret if your prayers are truly towards him. And brothers and sisters, we are called to pray, and I, I ask you in humility, who is the true audience of your prayers? There is a subtle temptation to be drawn to make our prayers for the benefit of other people or to be so distracted and focused by one another that we cannot or we, we do not pray to the Lord sincerely. It, it is so subtle. Isn't, isn't that why we struggle so much to pray around one another in public isn't that what makes it so hard? Isn't that why we rehearse our prayers before we actually pray? Or we ask the question, what will I sound like? What will I reveal about my heart through this prayer? Will I reveal a lack of knowledge, a lack of godliness? Will it be obvious that I haven't been praying the way that I need to? Am I poetic enough? Beloved, the prescription from our elder brother is this. Go. Go pray. Spend time praying in secret. Learn to pray to your Father who sees in secret. Learn to, to orient your heart on your heavenly Father and to speak to him truly. Speak to him truly. Jesus would often go off to desolate places to spend time in private prayer. And when the Spirit teaches us to pray, truly pray, to our Father as a true audience. We can pray in public. There's always going to be that, that danger of the ears and the eyes and the opinions that are around us evaluating our prayers, but true prayer is focused with the audience of our Heavenly Father who hears us. And when we are focused on Him, He is the one who will grant us the reward. The second instruction that our Savior gives us is about the content of prayer. And if we could just simply state it, Jesus teaches us, our high priest teaches us that we must ask for what we need. We should ask simply, simply. God is not impressed by flowery words, eloquent words, empty words, as he says. He says, when you pray, don't pray like the Gentiles, or another way of putting it is the pagans, people who just Pile on empty phrases, words upon words. God's not impressed by the words. He's not impressed by the phrases. He's not convinced. He says, Jesus says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need, but he still says, ask. But you don't have to convince him. You don't have to impress him. And we can be like pagans. There's a, um, there's a disconnect it, uh, such, such prayers betray a lack of familiarity, a lack of relationship, become more formalistic. What do I mean? How can, how, can we, um, how can we pray like pagans with this kind of formalistic? Well, let's say hypothetically that child is, uh, it's the middle of the afternoon, it's in between lunch and dinner, don't want to, child's hungry, Teenager's hungry, wants to have something to eat, and the child goes to the father and says, 
Oh, my dear and loving Father, who raised me from birth, who's been kind to ensure that I've had all that I've needed every day of my life, who ensures the fridge and the pantry are stocked with plenty of food, and who withholds no good thing from me, who, who desires that I live and not die, if it be your will, and not too soon before dinner, and you desire to express your kindness through a favorable reply, I beseech thee, dear Father, to allow me your humble child by your kind and generous grace to procure a meager snack from the pantry in order to satisfy my energy lest I faint. That's nonsense. And why is that nonsense? Because it replaces familiarity with formality. It, um, it, it, it betrays a detachment at the expense of relationship. Why, are we, why do we pray like that? Jesus says God doesn't need the words. He's not convinced by the words. He's not over, overcome by the words. He doesn't need convincing. He knows. And yet he commands us to pray. And so then Jesus, by contrast, offers this prayer, which we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And so we need to see it in the context of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about simplicity. Request, but simplicity. And we'll look at the individual petitions over the next few weeks, but here, as Jesus offers this, just the simplicity of the request. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a simplicity in the request. The content matters. We need to be taught the things to pray. But we also need to be taught the manner to pray. And Jesus says, this is your father. Talk to him like your father. Be yourself. Be reverent because this is the Almighty God, your Heavenly Father. But let's not be formalistic. Let's not overwhelm our God with words. But it's, we can go a bit further too, brothers and sisters. It's not just the, the, the extra words, the empty words, as he said. Even, even these words can become empty. Even the Lord's words The content matters, but so does our heart. What do I mean? I've really been struck about how much we can say the words without the heart behind it. Maybe you felt this in worship. We have, we have lots of opportunities to pray. Is your heart truly engaged in praying to your Father through these things? Or are you just saying the words? We read these beautiful corporate confessions as we confess our sins. And isn't it all too easy just to read the words, say the words, and our heart is far from us? Or to even pray the Lord's Prayer. We, we recite it. We're not praying it. It's not engaging our heart. It's not a true request to our Heavenly Father. 
He's not impressed by the, the words. Prayer is not a magical incantation in order to get God to do stuff. It's a conversation from a child to his father. Our hearts must be engaged. We cannot pray with our lips and have our hearts be far from him. The heart matters. We must engage the heart and speak from the heart to our Heavenly Father. And when we do, when we exercise this deliberate focus on speaking to our Father, God gives the joy and the and the, and the power of the prayer that he promises. But it takes faith. It takes intentionality. Well, brothers and sisters, what has the Spirit revealed to you about your prayer life? This, this was a convicting sermon for me to wrestle through. Um, how has the Spirit convicted you? If you hear him convicting you, Heed what he is speaking to you. Jesus came to teach us. We must be taught. We can't just be taught either. We need to put it into practice. And I'm willing to, to hazard that for us who have been listening, a lot of the Spirit to speak to us, there's a sense of dissatisfaction in our prayer life. You, like me, probably feel convicted about failures in your prayer life. And I would encourage you to move beyond the dissatisfaction to where Jesus wants to take us because dissatisfaction can breed feelings of failure and inadequacy which can drive us further from our Heavenly Father rather than drawing us to Him. And beloved, those accusations of being inadequate or being a failure are accusations of the evil one. That is not the work of the Spirit. Scripture is very clear. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. If your faith is in Christ Jesus, then you have the right to pray. And there is no condemnation for you. You need to cast aside those feelings of condemnation based upon your prayer life. And you need to be able to hear something very different. The Son of Man did not come. Jesus Christ, our Savior, did not come to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus doesn't come to condemn us with this instruction, but to teach us. We can, we can hear his, his teaching and we can say, oh man, I am, I am the hypocrite. <laughs> or oh man, I just pray so much like the pagan. What is wrong with me? God couldn't possibly be okay with my prayer. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came as our brother to rescue us and to teach us and to say, this is what it means to pray. This is the gift that you've been given. Stop doing that so that you can experience the fullness of the reward of prayer. He's not teaching us to condemn, but to train us. He knows our weakness. He came in our weakness. He knows the temptations that we face. These things that he's warning us against, he was tempted with. And he stood firm for us so that we, by his spirit, could stand firm and experience the reward of our prayers. And so if we could put a fine point on what Jesus wants to teach us in this passage, I would, I would say it's simply this. Seek to truly pray when you're praying. Seek to truly pray to your heavenly Father when you pray. 
we have so many opportunities to pray. We can pray in private. We can pray in worship. We pray with our families. We pray in Bible studies each and every time. Battle to pray truly like Jesus teaches us. Battle to block out all the other distractions and to focus on praying to our Heavenly Father. Battle to overcome your doubts that this is going to do anything, that God's even listening. God is hearing you. He's listening. He's, he's pleading with you. He sent his son to rescue you and to give you this right. He wants to hear your prayers. He's teaching you how to pray. Don't doubt. Pray. Pray like a child of the living God. Your, your father knows what you need, but he, he wants you to ask. Just, just, just talk to him. Be, be yourself. Or more to the point, be Christ-like. Be, be, pray like he teaches us. Pray like he prays. Pray, pray for the things that he, he teaches us to pray for. Let Jesus teach you how to pray. But do it. Don't just be taught. Don't just be taught. This is a practice. We must practice our prayer. That's why he's teaching us, so that we'll do it. Pray with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength because, beloved, such prayers of faith are powerful and effective. They're in Christ. They're by his spirit. And our God delights in such prayers. He, he draws us in with his love. He works out his will. It's glorious. Beloved, pray. Pray like that. Pray with the spirit of God that has been given to you. And thanks be to God for the gift this wonderful gift of prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for giving us this gift of prayer. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you remind us of your grace and that you teach us how to pray. Oh, you must desire it eagerly. We pray that you would help us to be faithful in it. Help us to cast aside all fear in praying to you. Cast aside all distractions. And that help us to just cling to the hope that is ours in Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.